Hi there, you're listening to the Lighthouse to the Nations Church podcast. This week, Mike opened up our series on Ephesians. We hope you enjoy this message. Thank you. Much better. Okay. Good, good. So I'll start from scratch because we are recording it. So give me the green light and I can get started, Jonathan. Well, good morning, Lighthouse. Thank you for joining us. Good to see everybody today. <laughs> and to the online viewers, thank you so much for tuning in and finding the time to to listen. Just pray that you'll enjoy the, the morning with us. So over the next nine weeks, we're going to be doing a series in the local church on the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is often called the Alps of the New Testament. It's, it's just a beautiful, majestic book that we're going to look through. So why do we do what we do? Why do we do a preaching series through a book of the Bible? Well, let me give you two reasons. Number one, we teach the Word of God. So as Christina shared, sometimes man's wisdom confuses things. Man's opinion isn't that important. What's infinitely more important is what is God's opinion. And we get that from the word. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Standing firm in the heavens and fastened to eternity is the word of God. Grace mentioned the verse from Jeremiah 23, which is an interesting verse. It says, Let the one who speaks my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain? Is not my word like fire, says the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the stone? And I mean, it just gives the description of the power of the Word of God. It's like wheat. It nourishes, it fills, it sustains, it satisfies. But man's opinions are like grass, like straw. So either we can have a hot loaf of bread, God's Word, or we can offer you some grass trimmings, man's opinion or God's opinion. And that's why we go through the Word of God. It's like fire. It's in us. You've got to get it out. And it's like a hammer that breaks a rock. Now, in this context, the word that Grace mentioned, a rock signifies resistance, oppression, or maybe just challenges. But the word of God prevails over all circumstances of life. And that's why we teach the word of God. Because God's opinions are more important than man's opinions. And the second reason that we go through a series in the Bible is that it forms solid doctrine by teaching the whole counsel of God. So Paul, remember in, in Acts 20 verse 27, he calls together all the Ephesian elders and he 
told him that forming solid doctrine was the exact task that, he's, that he was called to in the ministry. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, what is the whole counsel of God? Well, it means you speak the complete gospel. You don't give half the truth uh, or only parts of the Bible. You speak the Bible in its entirety. So in other words, what Paul was saying, it's okay to preach about, let's say, a faith in Jesus, provided you also talk about you know, a call to repentance. It's perfectly fine to talk about heaven as long as you also preach about hell. You know? So he, he looked at the whole counsel of God. And when we go through a book of the Bible, we look at the whole counsel of God. So that's, that's what the, the aim is. So sometimes when you do the whole counsel of God, you feel tempted to rip out a few pages or maybe rip out a few verses. But in the series of Ephesians, when we go through Ephesians 1 verse 1 through to Ephesians 6.24, there is no ripping. We're going to rip no pages out. We're not even going to rip a verse out. We're going to go through the whole counsel of God. And that's why, as a local church, we're going to be doing a series. And it's my pleasure this morning to do the introductory talk about the book of Ephesians. And then next week, we're going to kick off proper. We've entitled the series, Unlocking the Secrets Hidden in the book of Ephesians. So what's a secret? A secret is something that's temporarily hidden or concealed, like a mystery, and it's, it's kept to provide the pleasure of surprise. So, for example, the secret of a, of a birthday party, like with Barry's 50th birthday party, he was totally clueless, and when he suddenly walked in, it was a pleasant surprise. He was quite overjoyed, you know. Now, in Ephesians, this word secret or mystery occurs about six times. And some of the best-kept secrets of the Christian faith are found in the book of Ephesians. It's sort of like a window that we peer into and we learn secrets. We learn the secret of what it means to be church. We learn the secret of what God has done for us. The secret of what Christ has done in us. The secret of what Christ has done between us, reconciling us. The secret of how to pray. I mean, Ephesians open up the secret of the most amazing prayers that we find in the Bible. The secret of unity in Christ. The secret of how to live and walk out the Christian faith. The secret of building relationships that are Christ-centered. Husband and wife, parents and children, employee and employees. The secret of how to stand firm in Christ. So these are some of the secrets we're going to, we're going to uh, find out. We're also going to learn the secret of what a revival means. Because one of the greatest revivals in the history of the early church was birthed in Ephesus. Ephesus was a revival center in the early church. See, and the book of Ephesians offers us a bit of an inside view into the faith and the mindset that sparked off one of the greatest revivals of that time. Because from the city of Ephesus, the gospel was catapulted into the entire region of Asia Minor. It's between, it was between 8 to 15 million people. In the space of two years and three months, that entire region 
was impacted with the gospel. This all happened with no church buildings or any of the, the flashy things that we have today. What was their secret? Well, we're going to learn about it the next few weeks. And in Ephesians, we also learn the secret of how the gospel of Jesus Christ impacted and transformed a diverse culture. In Ephesus, it was diverse. They had Jews, they had Greeks, they had Romans. It was a hodgepodge of all these cultures, and they were completely transformed. So we learn how everything was changed from marriage to the economy. We learn the secret in Ephesians of the raw power of the gospel of Jesus Christ on display. And Ephesians, I mean, often in South Africa we talk about transformation. But Ephesians tells us the secret that the only way to true transformation is the human heart. Because that's the root of the problem. And it addresses the root of the problem. So we read in Ephesians about a change from the inside out. That the gospel of Jesus conquers the world, one heart, one family, one home, one community at a time. Isn't that wonderful? So what is the background of the book of Ephesians? Well, the writer of the book of, of Ephesians was the apostle Paul. And he wrote the book while he was in prison in Rome. He had the freedom to write, but he was under house arrest. In fact, he was chained to a Roman, a Roman soldier for that entire two-year period. Not the same Roman soldier, but throughout the two years, he was chained to a Roman soldier while he wrote that book. And he also wrote a few of the books, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, in addition to Ephesians. Who are the recipients? They were the, the believers in Ephesus, the Christians in Ephesus. They are the people who, they love Jesus. That, they were the recipients of it. What was the city of Ephesus? What's just a bit of a picture about the city of Ephesus? Well, it was very much like Johannesburg. It was, except that it was, it was a seaport, but it was, it was the hub of the economy. It was the, it was the market of Asia Minor, what we call today uh, Turkey. It was the most important trade, trading center in that whole Mediterranean region. Just like Joburg, I mean, 75% of our GDP comes from Joburg in South Africa. That was Ephesus. It was just the hub of the economy. So like Joburg, it was a very wealthy city, a very busy city. People worship money and, and uh, wealth. In fact, when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the world at the time. Like Joburg, we have Ellis Park Stadium. They had what was called the Great Theater. It seated between twenty-five to 50,000 people. And the Panlonian Games, which is similar to the Olympic Games, was held in Ephesus. So Ephesus was sports mad. They loved sports, but like Joburg. Ephesus was also the center of pagan worship and idolatry. Uh, it housed what's called the Temple of Artemis, sometimes called the Temple of Diana. And this was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it was a pagan temple. It was just a city filled with idolatry. Like Joburg, they had a bit of a problem with crime. In fact, the crime in Joburg paled in comparison to Ephesus. And the reason for that was that Ephesus was the home of criminals. Because what happened is this, this temple of Artemis possessed what they called the right of asylum. If you were a criminal and you got to within a certain radius of the temple, you were completely immune. You were perfectly safe. 
So this was the, this was the place to be if you're a criminal. He said, so if you love money and wealth, if you loved a busy life, if you loved sport, and if you indulged in pagan worship, and if you were a criminal, then Ephesus was a splendid place to live. But if you were a Christian, it was a bit of a challenging place to live. So it's a bit like Joburg, isn't it? So what's the background of the story of the church in Ephesus? Well, the church in Ephesus was birthed by a couple called Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And we read in Acts 18 that, that when Paul was in Corinth, he was accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. They were also tent makers. And they left Corinth And when they went through Ephesus, Paul left them there to plant a church. So Paul knew that Ephesus was a strategic center. And if that got evangelized, then they could serve as a focal point, a base church, which which would impact the entire Asia Minor. But Priscilla and Aquila did all the groundwork. They did the hard work. And once they got the church up and running, Paul came back again. And he stayed there for two years and and three months. It was the longest stay in any one place that Paul did. And when Paul was there under his leadership, of course the church grew, and it says in Acts 19 that Paul spoke boldly and argued persuasively about the kingdom so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia Minor heard the word of God. That's 8 to 15 million people. Isn't that amazing? And after Paul had led the church, he handed over to Timothy. Now, Timothy was also a strong leader. In fact, the books of 1 and 2 Timothy were written by Paul to Timothy when Timothy was leading the church in Ephesus. And Timothy then, when he had finished his turn as leader, he handed over to the disciple John, who Jesus loved, remember the disciple. In fact, John wrote the books 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and also the Gospel of John from Ephesus. And then you've got Apollos. He was, remember, Apollos was a was extremely skilled in expounding scripture and debating, and he was also there. So the church in Ephesus had some strong, strong leaders. Now something also about the church in Ephesus that we may not know is that what does Ephesus mean? Any ideas? Well, Ephesus means desirable or darling, sweetheart. So it was a Greek, when, when the Greek bridegroom wanted to propose to the lady he loved, he would say to her, not my darling or my sweetheart, but my Ephesus. And he would have a rose and he would present to the rose and he'd say, my Ephesus. So it was like the Paris of today. You know, romance, that's where it happened. It was in Ephesus. It was the city of love. So in that background, what does Jesus do? Maybe he wrote Ephesus a love letter because they could understand that language. So he gets the attention in Revelation in 2, verse 1 to 7, he sends him a personal love letter. And he says to them, my Ephesus, my darling, my sunshine, you know, uh, you are desirable to me. It was the meaning of it. You're beautiful to me. You're my beloved. Makanaka. So remember, we've got the same, we've got a similar love letter like Ephesus. It's so similar to us. Because every church and every believer is desirable to Jesus because we are his bride. And so, I mean, just like Ephesus, we got that letter, Makanaka, I love you, you're beautiful. And in this letter, what does Jesus say to the church? Well, he commends them. Remember, he says to them, he commends their faithfulness, their hard work, their perseverance. 
They never complained. It must have been an amazing church. They persevered. They weren't tolerant of sin, didn't put up with any false doctrine. They didn't become discouraged. But yet in this love letter, what does Jesus say to them? Return to your first love. See, they could understand that language. He says, won't you return to the passionate love, the first love you had for me in the beginning? And first love means foremost. So he's referring to an exclusive love that places him as first in our hearts. Return to the passion you have for me that motivated everything you do. So that was the, that's the church at Ephesus. So let me close a bit with the themes. What are the themes of the book of Ephesus that we're going to look at? Well, the first part is what God's done, the first three books. The second part is how to live in light of that, how to imitate Jesus. And like many other books that Paul wrote, the book of Ephesians doesn't address any error or any doctrinal issue. There's no issues at all. It's just a letter to encourage so the themes are, in chapter 1, are just our blessing in Christ. In Ephesians 2, it's our position in Christ, Ephesians 2 and 3. And then Ephesians 4, 5, and a bit of 6, it's, the theme is just walking in Christ, walking out what, just to imitate Jesus. And then also Ephesians 6, is just standing firm, rooted, anchored in Jesus. And another theme is also the church, bringing it to maturity, to the full stature of Christ to impact the world. So the first part is our position in Christ. And the phrase we're going to read so often is, in Christ Jesus, in Him. That just permeates throughout the book. There are no commands in the first three chapters. Paul just simply states truths to declare about our spiritual blessing in Christ, our riches in Christ, the grace of God, our spiritual wealth, our hope in Christ. So we simply sit and declare the truths of our position in Christ. Then the second part of it, the last three chapters, are practical truths that enable us to live out the Christian faith. So it's information for our feet just to walk out and put into action the truths that we've, we learn in the first three chapters. So Watchman Nee wrote a beautiful book about Ephesians. You may, you may have read it called um, Sit, Walk, and Stand. In fact, I think Christina gave me a copy of the book. I hope I gave it back to you, Christina. Wonderful. I suddenly realized that. If not, um, but anyway, this whole book encapsulates Ephesians. Sit, walk, stand. Because sit are the first three chapters. Because you only advance in the Christian faith when you first learn to sit down. You first, you declare the truths about the Christian's riches in Christ. About all that God's done for us. And you simply sit and receive that. Ephesians 2 verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. So you start the journey from a position of rest, understanding your position in Christ. So as Watchman Nee says, Christianity starts not with a big do, but with a big done. It's all done. The entire Christian life is dependent on Christ and what Christ has done for us. No commands here. It's just truths to declare. So we sit and just receive those truths. 
And sitting just describes the position. There's no striving. It's just, it's, it's just the grace of God that we just receive these. So the first few weeks of the series, we're encouraging you to bring a comfy cushion to church, and we're just going to sit and declare the truth. The middle part of Ephesians is just walking out, a practical walking out of that heavenly position down earth. Because out of our position of Christ flows a walk that's Christ-focused and not self-centered. So the second part of Ephesians are just these practical truths to live out, to imitate Jesus. So Ephesians 4 verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have called. And the gospel should be lived out. And we're going to look at living it out in the marriage, children, parents, in the workplace, employee, employees. So in the middle part of the series, you leave your comfy cushion at home and you come to church, kitted in, walking shoes. Then the last part we're going to cover is stand. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Pull on the full arm of God that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. So we stand our ground, firmly rooted in Christ. We stand against the devil's schemes. And our standing in the face of the spiritual battle that we face is based on how we've been seated in the heavenly realm and how we walk out this faith. So spiritual warfare is not about all the techniques and how to pray. It's just about putting on the arm of God. It's about believing everything that Jesus has done for us and just living out the daily walk. So remember, we don't go picking a fight. What we do is we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory because you, you, you stand still there. So we're in a battle that's already been won. But we've still got to stand and take our ground. It's a defensive stand. Very different from an offensive stand, you're trying to take ground. But a defensive stand, you've really conquered the ground. You're just defending your position. So the real struggle is to stand in the finished work of Jesus. That's the front line of the real warfare that we face. So in the last part of the book of Ephesians, not only do we leave our comfy cushions at home and our walking shoes, but we bring our mountaineering boots. You want a firm grip. You don't want to be slipping. You've got to be really firm. So that then is an overview of what we're going to do in the next, the next eight to nine weeks, just unlocking some of the secrets of the book of, the book of Ephesians. So I'm just going to pray. Father, we just commit the series to you that Holy Spirit will breathe life into it and that we can look at the whole counsel of God, look at your opinions, and Holy Spirit, won't you seal truth in our hearts as we, as we go through this series, that we can just realize our position in you, and that you'll enable us, Holy Spirit, to walk it out in, on earth, the life that you've got for us, and that we can also be fitted with those mountaineering boots that will be firm and not move around, but just have a firm, steadfast grip in you. So we commit this, this series to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Ruffle our hand back to our MC. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about who we are as a church, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministry, please visit our website at www.thelighthouse.org.za. 
Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of our episodes. Thank you.